Welcome to the Heroes Church Podcast. Our vision is to build Christ-centered communities of imperfect people for the city. Now, let's listen to Pastor Z as he shares the scripture message. We are on our Christmas series, and we're looking at John chapter 1 that runs through certain themes on how we can introduce to you who Jesus is. And today's message is entitled, The Chosen One. And the Chosen One is a very interesting term because one of my basketball heroes, LeBron James, has dubbed himself the Chosen One. And he actually has a back tattoo saying Chosen One to mark him. And I think this shows us how oftentimes the world thinks, how oftentimes our heroes figure out themselves. And how we also, as a people, want to gravitate towards greatness. And the verses that was read for us today reveal to us certain things about that as well. And so I'd like to look at this passage and share with you the search for the chosen one, the coming of the chosen one, and the pathway of who this chosen one is. So let's look at the first. The search for the chosen one. This story was set at the River Jordan when John the Baptist was baptizing people. And so the story goes that Jewish leaders sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? Why are you baptizing people? What authority do you have to do this? You see, some leaders... And we know this because when we experience it at work, when we experience it at uh, our organizations, we know that some leaders are all about qualifications, all about protocol, all about rules, standards. And the Jewish leaders, you know, we can't blame them if they're like that. They find someone baptizing and they're, they're asking themselves, what, what brand, what company what authority, what standard, what protocol do you have, John, that you are doing this? See, baptizing was a big deal. And hopefully it still is for you today. But it was a commemorative of conversion, commemorative of you know people wanting to express and indicate their change of heart and focus on God. And suddenly, John the Baptist was becoming more popular. He, he didn't look the part. He didn't look like a normal rabbi. He, he didn't dress up the way they did. He didn't set up the normal assembly line for people to be converted and be baptized. But he was just out there in the Jordan River doing this, calling people to repentance and baptizing people. And to some Jewish leaders, that was very upsetting. Why are you going rogue? Why are you doing things differently? Why are you not subscribing to the set protocols that are been tested and proven to work why can't you just be like us why can't you just be like the institution why can't you just be compliant you know but but the act of actually sending people to come to john the baptist to ask him who are you this was indicative of not only the raucous john the baptist was causing but the desire to wonder, is it possible that you are the chosen one? Because the Jews do believe 
that the Messiah or the anointed one or the chosen one as, as prophesied in the Old Testament is going to come. And he's going to be the hero. He's going to be the liberator. He's going to deliver them from Roman rule, from all the powers that oppress. And so every generation is wondering, is the chosen one coming? Is the ultimate hero coming? Is he going to save the day? And so when John the Baptist was getting more popular, when John the Baptist was you know, making a difference, yes, it didn't comply with the normal scheme of things. It he wasn't presenting himself as other rabbis or priests, Jewish leaders were doing. And so it was not only a challenge to who he was, there was a little bit of that wonder, a little bit of that curiosity, a little bit of hope or wish. Is it possible? Are you the chosen one? And this shows us that whether you are a very open or self-aware person that deep inside you're looking for the Messiah, you're looking for the answer, looking for the chosen one, or whether you're like the Jewish leaders or the priests who have some level of authority and they're you know, trying to deny or hide or subtly suppress this feeling by calling out protocols, calling out standards, hiding behind rules and regulations, or the established order of things, whether you're, you're very in touch with your childlike heart, or maybe you've grown cold and you're like, there's just a little bit of whisper of wonder that somehow is converted to uncertainty, fear, or anxiety. We have to be aware. We have to recognize that this scripture is teaching us that we all search for the chosen one. We all want to connect with greatness. We all want to connect with something beyond ourselves to really make sense of the world. And that's why zooming out of this you know, specific context and coming into our world today, or just look at the past decades of your life, you, know, you see the world giving monikers to certain people LeBron James today may be the chosen one, but there was a time we had Allen Iverson who was called the answer, right? And until today, Michael Jordan is being heralded as the greatest of all time. Of course, some LeBron James fans are debating that, but you see in the world of sports, in the world of science, in the world of art, in the world of politics, in the world of economy or business, there's always these top guys that Elon Musk Jeff Bezos, and you know now it's a race to who's really going to be acknowledged as the greatest company or, or the best company to issue uh, a COVID vaccine. But we are ascribing so much hope, so much excitement, whether you think it's positive or negative pressure, on certain people to deliver to us the goods. Now, to your life, who is the chosen one? In your own journey, in your own mind, in your own heart, who is that person? Because what we find in John's story is that he, he knew who he was, he knew who the chosen one was, and he was able to, to properly point people to who the chosen one is. And the problem is, with many of us, is sometimes we look too much on ourselves that we just go out of order, or we look too much at other people that we fail to see the coming of the chosen one. And we find that here in verse 26 to 27. John answers, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not recognize, who is coming after me. 
I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. Wow. John was becoming so popular. John was becoming so successful. John was drawing crowds and he was successfully doing what he was called to do. And people were starting to ask, is he the one? Is he the one? Is he the one? And then John finally says, I'm not the one. I baptize with water. Someone coming after me will baptize you with so much more. And, and I just want to highlight the last sentence. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. I just want to highlight that. Untying the strap of the sandal. What does that mean? You see, untying the strap of the sandal was considered so degrading in those times. You think about it. it is, it's like the next step to washing someone's feet. Right? Who does that? Who does untying of the sandals? Disciples don't do that. Followers don't do that. People had slaves to actually do that. Servants to actually do that. But when you're following a rabbi, when you're a disciple of somebody, you're not expected to untie their sandals. In fact, it's not considered good to untie the sandals. So that's why if you look at this sentence, it could have been easily said by John that if this is the chosen one and I'm, I'm going to be under him, then he could have said, and I am just fit to untie his sandal, right? Indicating that the, the, the gravity of the, the separation, the gravity of the, the difference, the gap between the chosen one and him was so far the chosen one is that great one, and I am just but a slave, right? That would have made so much sense hierarchically, right? And to some of us who see things in black and white or, you know, ones and zeros or plus minus or simple math, we want to see things that way. Show me greatness and weakness. Show me positive and negative. Show me profit and loss. Right, that's easy to understand. That could be graphed. That could be visualized. It, it's easy, you know. And and John the Baptist is, you know, if had he written that perspective, would have easily said, "Jesus is the chosen one, and I will untie sandals." But he didn't say that. He didn't say that. Look at what he said. I am not worthy. I'm not just telling you guys that there's this massive gap between the chosen one and the slave to the chosen one, I'm showing to you guys that the coming of the chosen one is already indicating a message that will change the world. That if you see me as a possible candidate of being the chosen one, because I'm doing all these wonders, I'm gathering all these people, and I'm, I'm drawing all these crowds and baptizing them, the chosen one is coming, and I am not fit to be called his slave. I am not even fit to be called his servant. Now, some of us Christians are so lost that we even have a sense of entitlement when it comes to thinking, I'm a servant of God. Some of us think that by running through the motions and doing what feels comfortable in what we think Christianity should produce in us by coming to church, Know, maybe leading Bible studies or evangelizing others, we think, huh, bam, 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 I've checked the boxes. Bam, 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 I'm doing the right things. Bam, 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 I'm being a faithful servant. And if Christianity is all about that, and a lot of us are already doing that, 
question, why is the world like this? Why do we see still every year growing levels of strife, identity crises, depression, anxiety? You know, churches are saying, oh, wow, we have more Christians. Churches are saying, wow, we have more disciples every year. Look at the numbers. Look at the success rate. We want to grow. We want to grow. We want to grow. Yeah. Churches here in the Philippines might think that we are growing because of all these numbers, but why is our society still like this? It's like this because we may have recognized or been taught who the chosen one is, but we have not recognized that his coming changed, changed everything. We think that as being Christians, all we're asked is to be servants, to do the right thing, do what we're called to, but look at John the Baptist. He was doing it. He was being successful at it. He was drawing the crowds. People were chanting his name. Even the religious leaders were wondering, is he the one? But look at the perspective and the expressed humility of this man. Don't look at me. I'm not the chosen one. I will show you who the chosen one is. And even I am not fit to be his slave. Even I am not fit to serve him. How are you managing grace in your life? You know, sometimes it's lip service that we say, oh, grace is receiving God's blessings for the undeserving. It's easy to say that. Oh, God is so gracious. He gives me what I don't deserve. But inside our hearts, we think, oh, but I do deserve something. I do deserve something. And there, my friends, lies the problem. Because when you start thinking, I deserve some things. I deserve to be heard. I deserve to be acknowledged. I deserve to be followed. That voice inside of us does not go inside with the gospel. Do you think John was saying wrong things? He wasn't. He was calling people to repentance. Do you think John was calling people to a wrong following? He wasn't. He was calling people to point them to Jesus. But somehow there was no sense of entitlement. Somehow there was no sense of being more righteous. Somehow there was no sense of spiritual pride, which sadly a lot of us have. And it eats us up. It eats us up quietly. Silently, it's like high blood pressure. It's a silent killer. You know, it, it, you can't even test it with how you feel. You can't even test it with what you think or what you know. You need experts to really determine. You need tests to really determine whether you have high blood pressure or not. And I think sometimes we fail to realize our spiritual life is like that. It's not so easy to test. It's not so clearly defined like an assembly line. And I'm here as a pastor because I believe that God calls us sinners and has a pathway for us that many times we might not understand, the world may not understand, but if we just journey towards that realization, then we'll see. It doesn't matter if the world doesn't understand because no one understood John the Baptist. It's about how we really view how wide, how magnificent Jesus is in our lives. John the Baptist was saying something so radical. He wasn't only saying, God, 
the chosen one and me, he was saying the chosen one and I'm just really in a different category. I cannot even be in this plane. I cannot even be greatness and weakness. I can't even be 100% and 0%. I can't even be here. I'm just in a totally different category. You can't put me in the same sentence as the chosen one. And if you're coming to me because you think I'm the chosen one, you're horribly wrong horribly wrong because the chosen one when he comes man i'm not even fit to be in his hierarchy that wonderful recognition of humility is so important so important to our spiritual journey or else we'll just be calloused or stuck or stressed out which leads me to this third point the purpose of the chosen one John the Baptist wasn't the chosen one, though people were seeking him out. And if John the Baptist was just moved by his ego, moved by his spiritual pride, then he wouldn't have recognized the coming of the chosen one, much more his purpose. But look at verse 29. On the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. On the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yesterday, I was having a conversation with one of my friends. And I was thankful for the opportunity to be able to engage him in a gospel conversation. And we we talked about traveling to the Holy Land because that's something he was able to do. And I said, oh, so were you able to do this? Were you able to do that? And then asked him, you were able to go to the Jordan River and be baptized there? Because, you know, my mind was on this text. And he's like, yes. You know what? The Jordan River smelled like a canal. And there's fish. It looks clean, but it doesn't smell so good. And I'm just trying to imagine Jesus was here and he had to go through this. And maybe that's why people didn't believe him. Because there should be a cleaner river. There should be a better place for God to be baptized or to just be seen. And he was right. He was right. There are better rivers. There are better places to be seen. And that's why we fail to realize and recognize many times who the chosen one is. Because we're looking at the wrong places. We have to unlearn a lot of things in our lives as we grow in the faith. And one of those things is to put in parallel the worldly values with Christian values. When I say worldly values, many times people think, oh, worldly means evil things. Worldly means behavioral problems. That's not what I'm saying. We've already journeyed so long as a church for you to recognize that when we say worldly values, It could also mean good values, but are just distracting us from the ultimate value, okay? So it could be very good things. It could be things that, you know, will not make you a criminal. Things that will even make you popular in this world. But somehow when we focus on these things, it's distracting us from the ultimate value. I think this passage is strong because it's showing us that the chosen one has radically different values than the world. And that is why it's so special that when John saw Jesus, he really belted out, look guys, there's the Lamb of God. What do you think that is? The Lamb of God 
who takes away the sins of the world. Wow. Now, I'm not going to pretend like I already can assume that a lot of you understand what the lamp means here. So let me just walk you through a little bit of what that means. In the Old Testament, the Jews was the chosen people of God. They were enslaved by the Pharaoh in Egypt. And so for many years, they were slaving hard. They were having a hard time. And God sent Moses to deliver them. Moses was their hero at that time to deliver them from slavery and move them from Egypt into the promised land. Now, of course, that's not going to be so easy. Imagine the workforce, imagine the labor force, and now someone will just come to remove all that from a, a nation, and the nation will collapse. Pharaoh wouldn't want to do that. Why will I let go of all my slaves? For what? And so it was tough. It was a back and forth battle, back and forth conversation. That's why we have all these stories of the 10 plagues of Moses showing so much science and wonders, so much power with what God has allowed him to reveal. But it still came to the 10th plague that moved the Egyptians' hearts to let them go. And what was the last sign? Well, it was the death of the firstborn. God said that at a specific time, I will send a destroying spirit to just take over the land and every firstborn of the house will die. And that's why he instructed the Passover ritual already for every Hebrew home to get a unblemished lamb and to use it as a sacrifice to mark their homes so that when the destroyer comes, passes through their house, their firstborn son will be spared. This is already an indication of how the lamb is saving the people of God. So can you imagine that night? We already know the story, so we think, ha, huh, they were spared. But no one knew at that time that they were going to be spared. They were hanging on the word of this man, Moses, that what they're doing is correct. So if you think about it, when, you know, when I try to imagine this, from the city into where their homes were, they were beginning to hear the screams, the shrieks of moms, of dads, of brothers and sisters crying because suddenly they see the oldest son just passing out, dying, losing breath. And as they hear it coming closer, coming closer to their homes, they don't know for sure. So they're looking at the land and they're looking at their firstborn son. They're probably like holding them, holding them so tight. Now imagine you listening right now who have your firstborn sons, look at them right now. And you're just like, there's a lamb and there's your firstborn son. And you're, you hear all these screams and you're just like holding them, holding them. And just wishing like, oh, is this going to work? Is this going to work? Man, it's happening. Death is happening. Death is all around us. But then somehow that night, the Hebrew firstborns with the lamb there were spared. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. Your royalty didn't matter. Size of your family, size of your income, size of your faithfulness, num number of years you slave didn't matter. What mattered was the lamb. And this is what John's teaching us. The purpose of the coming of the chosen one. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about his plan for the world. COVID this year has just leveled our perspective. In a way, it's prepared us 
for a more humble posture to receive the word of God. Let's not waste that. This pandemic has shown power, resources, money, popularity, number of followers will not save you from this virus. And in a way, that was where the Israelites were when they were thinking about the Lamb. So when John the Baptist said, look at the Lamb of God, they knew what it meant. Now Christmas is here. Next week, we're going to celebrate on December 25th, the coming of Jesus again. You know, one of my favorite parts here in verse 29, it's so simple, so ordinary, but I really like it because look, on the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. John saw Jesus coming toward him. John didn't see Jesus out there in the road. John just didn't see Jesus by the river. John didn't see Jesus on TV. And he just said, wow, that's the Lamb of God. He didn't see Jesus in a poster, in a book. He saw Jesus coming toward him. There was that intent. There was that beeline. There was that personal connection. Jesus was coming towards him. And that also is what led him to respond. Christmas Day is a celebration of Jesus coming toward you and me, coming to the world. That's why we're seeing joy to the world. Because Jesus is coming towards us. Are you recognizing him? I pray that you will. So I want to end with three applications for this sermon. How can we respond to the birth of this chosen one? Number one, take time to see Jesus. That's what John the Baptist was calling people to do. Behold, the chosen one is coming. Behold, the Lamb of God. My friends, my brothers, my sisters, you've seen too many things. You focused on too many things this year. You focus on yourself, focus on other people, focus on your work, focus on you know your sense of religiosity. Take the time to see Jesus. I'm telling you, take the time to focus on him. Take the time to just look at him. Take the time to behold him. Take the time to meditate on him. Feel his presence because you know what? More likely, he's coming to you. Second, Learn more about Jesus. Learn more about Jesus. Make it a point to really grow in the knowledge of the grace and love of Christ. Obviously, this passage shows us we never can really know enough. There's so many things to learn. So now as you prepare for 2021, maybe start thinking about, oh, how can I draw closer to Christ? What must I get to know with? That's why, you know, when we study the scripture, when we have our lighthouse, it's one of the most important things that we ask How does this point us or what do we learn about Jesus in this text? What can we learn about Jesus in this situation? That question, let it stick. Let it stick with you. I'll let you carry it through this next year. And lastly, third, you have the opportunity. Not only the opportunity, when suddenly you see Jesus and you're learning more about Jesus, then testify about Jesus. Testify about Jesus. You know, one of, I think the best things we've had this year as a church is our Grateful Mondays post in social media, in our Facebook page, where our members are testifying about how the Lord Jesus Christ has gifted them with so many things. If you go through our Facebook page and look at Grateful Mondays, you'll see people thanking God for their jobs. You see people thanking God for losing jobs. Somehow they saw the reason why people with good health, people with bad health, You you see life, you see death, you see 
all of life. And that's why we need the church. That's why we need each other because we don't, not, none of us, none of us, none of us have a monopoly of understanding who Jesus is. That's why we need each other. That's why we have to pay attention to each other. And that's why we have to be open that we can learn from each other no matter who each other are. That's why I encourage you. We're probably like almost finished everybody on the roll, but if you want a simple, practical way to testify about Jesus, we can do that with you. Volunteer for our Grateful Mondays post or just post something, even if it's not on our Facebook page, post something and share about. You know, share it about to your friends, share it about someone you're talking to. You know, like look at all these opportunities. But you know what? A lot of times you can do it because pride happens, nervousness happens. But you know what? That goes out the window when you do one and two. Focus on Jesus. Learn more about him. Enjoy his presence. And you will just naturally be a blowhorn for him. That's what I'm excited about. I pray that this season will close the year strong by focusing on Jesus. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this you know, simple story that somehow points us to our inner desire for the chosen one our, our, and your coming as a chosen one and your purpose. We pray, the Lord, that in our lives, who you are and how the Bibles reveal you will be meaningful to our hearts so that we can carry out beholding you, learning more about you, and testifying about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.